Welcome to episode 29 of Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I'm your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what are we having for snacks today? I see to my left here, Penelope, a bag of what? Cheez-Its. An empty, almost empty bag of Cheez-Its. three left. <laughs> Winnie, what do you have? Um, Ruffles. Oh, good. Original. I always like, Winnie's eats my kind of snacks. Stand by. Yeah. <laughs> potato chips. Yeah. I have Kit Kats. Kit Kats. Not potato chips. And thank chips. you for offering them to me, but they do get caught in my... What do you call this? Uh, Esophagus. Well, your left phalange. My, my gizzard. <laughs> my gizzard. Speaking of a culture of death, I always end the introduction talking about uh, shining the light of life in a culture of death. A topic that we touched on briefly last week, but haven't really spent um, sufficient time, is abortion, the unlawful yet legalized killing of infants in the womb. A lot has been written on this topic, of course, especially in America since 1973, which was the Roe versus Wade decision which legalized abortion. But rather than trying to add something new or compelling to the normal political discussion that accompanies this topic, we're going to examine the issue of abortion from a different angle today. Now, in advance warning to our audience, please listen to all of this podcast. If you were to cut and paste elements of what we discuss in today's episode, or if you are prone to become easily offended, I would urge you to listen to the entire episode for proper context. Our topic and the angle we're going to address may appear at first take to be or to come across as controversial. I don't think it is, of course, but because I've listened to what some people think about a certain aspect of this discussion, I'm aware that the very mention of a challenge to one's thinking on the issue could cause the listener to immediately become defensive and shut his or her ears to what we are really saying because it may appear to be insensitive. That's not our intent. Our calling is to live biblically. And sometimes the commands of Scripture are very challenging, as they should be, for we are not as we should be. So as you listen to our dialogue today, I hope you will come away with a better understanding of what the Bible says on this very important issue. Our purpose on this program is always to discern the truth, and to do this we must always go to the Scriptures, allowing the Bible to interpret itself and all things. To that end, we will incorporate a number of Scripture passages as framework for our discussion. But to get to the point, a couple of years ago when addressing the issue of abortion in a class at a tutorial on Christian apologetics that I taught here in Middle Tennessee, I discovered that some of my students' convictions about abortion and the emotions surrounding their passions against these wicked practices were rooted in certain firmly held beliefs about what happens or what they think happens to a baby when a baby is aborted. Perhaps you've heard this before. I do not possess the results of any polls, nor do I have any supporting data, but 
I would venture to say, and I don't think anyone would argue, that many of those who identify as right to life or the pro-life movement seem to believe that all aborted babies go to heaven. Despite the emotionally charged response that I know I'm going to get from some who believe this, and I'm not suggesting that those beliefs are not sincerely held, indeed they are, but I don't believe the scriptures support this position. When we return, our icebergs are going to join me for an examination of the Bible to help us discern whether or not all aborted babies go to heaven. Our answers may surprise you. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional, Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I'm your host. With me today in the studio are to my left... Penelope. And to the middle... Winnie. And to my right... And Roger. And Roger? And Roger. That's my full name, actually. Okay. And Roger. And Roger. I just go by Roger for short. a, A couple of tidbits of context here. Roger, by the way, almost broke his ankle... This weekend, doing what? I was biking. <laughs> Just biking? In my backyard, on trails I made. In, in the, the woods. woods. In the woods. <laughs> Downhill. <laughs> on Off a non-dirt a bike. <laughs> yeah, against your father's better wishes judgment. <laughs> and better judgment. Uh, to my left, Winnie, is. Uh, she was boasting about her happy pants. Winnie, can you tell us what happy pants are? <laughs> I'm just wearing jean shorts, um, but they have little embroidery on them that says happy so happy they're happy they're her happy and pants. it's happy because it's a nice warm day out it was like yes. 87 degrees yeah. when we came in oh, here. i thought it was 83 no by the time we got oh close to the studio it was 87 quick question um, shorts pants but i understand i so winnie has these awesome awesome are they jeans or just pants they're like they're p- jean pants i think I, they're jeans. if they if they had <laughs> men's if they had men's versions of those when i was a little bit younger i would have worn them but um, I don't mean to offend your mom. I know your mom doesn't yes. like them. They're, but... they're color blocked. They're like all different colors, tan and black and white. And she thinks they look like clown pants. <laughs> where do you, but they're super cool. Where do you find pants like that? Online. Oh, okay. Shein, guys. <laughs> oh, I thought it was Sheen. Sheen. They look, I don't know. I, I, I thought they looked good. I thought they looked good. Cool. Why, thank you. Well, something else I figured out, you know, offices of hypothesis has been missing or vacation or sabbatical. You know, we even sent out a wanted flyer. (laughs) But I think I found where offices of hypothesis has been hiding. I realized that it's actually a subcategory of the palaces of analysis. It's a room within the palaces. So Are you saying the palaces of analysis ate the offices of hypothesis? (laughs) Well, no, they didn't eat it, but... When you go into the palaces of analysis, you have to go to the front desk clerk and say, where might one find the offices of hypothesis? Take a right, um, three quarters down on the second floor. and. <laughs> so down with in that in mind, yeah, yeah, we're going to enter the palaces of analysis. But rather than remaining in the lobby, let's head straight for the offices of hypothesis. 
<laughs> it's kind of lo- kind of lonely in here and smells um a little moldy like it hasn't been used musty. for a while yeah, yeah. It looks like the windows the need some cleaning. <laughs> yes. Maybe you can pull out your vacuum, your magic vacuum. Uh, how would you know about my vacuum? I love to vacuum. Uh, another, <laughs> if, another, yes, another if episode. The doesn't, if the audience doesn't know. <laughs> well, the good news is that we've arrived at the premises of this old friend, the offices of hypothesis. And the hypothesis of the day is all aborted babies go to heaven. True or false? Winnie. False. False false okay by the way before we ask you for explanation get into examination would your answer change or be different if i said all babies that do not make it to full term go to heaven in other words do the means by which the baby fails to make it to full term abortion being the intentional act right of a bad actor terminating a life versus an accident or just a pregnancy not finishing miscarriage or something like that does that change your answer about the eternal destiny of the child? No. 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 Okay. I would agree, but let's talk about what the Bible says about it, because these are important questions, and as we talk about them, it's important that we always keep the Scriptures in front of us. If we profess Christ and proclaim to believe that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God, our words mean nothing if we abandon the Scriptures as the starting point for all things. What does Proverbs 1.7 say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. The beginning, right? That means it's our first place that we must go. If we profess faith in Christ, to go anywhere other than the Scriptures is disobedient, not, and it's intellectually foolish. We're not here to discuss opinion or to weigh the views of the world or to ask what the majority of Christians might think about whether all aborted babies go to heaven. Our responsibility, our calling— Our duty is to discern what the scriptures actually say about themselves and about all things. As a preliminary matter, and we've discussed this in many prior episodes, but we don't we don't have time to go into it today, but they are available for review. Unless the Bible is true, we could not know anything. The Bible must be our first and final criterion for measuring and discerning all things. Otherwise, we couldn't account for anything. When we go into the laboratory, whether that be an actual scientific lab or the laboratory of life, where we search diligently to know the will of God and what is true, we must first take into account the Word of God and what it says about the nature and character of God, the nature and character of the world in which we live, the nature and character of man and truth itself. Only then can we make sense of our observations and experiences and why we can rely upon the regular occurrence of what we might call laws and universals, which are necessary for discerning truth from any experiment. As I've oft repeated, the Bible may not speak about everything, but it speaks to everything. The Bible may not contain detailed analysis, for example, of the molecular composition of the air we breathe, but the Bible is the indispensable basis upon which we can account for the very idea of breathing what we breathe, why we breathe, and to what end. But on many issues, the Bible actually speaks about them directly. And on this question of whether all aborted babies go to heaven, I think the direct words and passages of Scripture are very helpful and instructive. Many Christians are unable to provide support from the Bible for their belief 
as to what happens to the babies um, who are aborted. In my experience, the majority hold this view, uh, and they do it from an emotional posture, claiming some form of innocence for aborted babies. And those who do this offer Scripture, or shall I say, those who do offer Scripture to support their views generally refer to a couple of passages, and I'll select one here that Winnie's going to read from Isaiah 7, uh, beginning at verse 13 and running through, let's go through verse 17, Winnie. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Thank you, Winnie. So, I want to draw your attention to verses 15 and 16 of that passage and why this verse has made um, a point of, of discussion in support of the belief that all aborted babies go to heaven. And the belief starts with this concept of innocence. And then it goes on to say, and Scripture proves this because, and this isn't the only passage, there's a couple of passages which talk about a young child, not yet old enough, to know how to choose wrong and right. But key here, well, I won't, I won't give the answer away. Something Winnie pointed out when we read this in pre-production was what? What does the scripture actually say here? It's presupposing that it's already accepted the wrong before it can, the baby can reject it. Yes, because it says in verse 16, doesn't it? For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. The implication of that statement is what? It had already accepted the wrong first. Yeah, he cannot choose right, and which we'll get into, but for Christ, right? His starting position is rebellion. His starting position is rebellion against God. So let's get into some of the Scripture that supports that, because the best interpreter of Scripture is always Scripture itself. We must look at all of Scripture to understand these things more fully. So... Penelope, why don't you begin with, and by the way, to our audience, there's an abundance of passages. We don't have to select every single one and, and die, dissect every single one. We're going to choose a few to make the point. Uh, Genesis 6, 5, Penelope. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had been on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Okay, so this was before the flood, right? Every inclination of the hearts of man was always evil all the time. God therefore brought judgment in the form of a flood. And yet after the flood, as we have Paul confirm in Romans 3.23, what remains the condition of the human heart? It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, so what does this tell us about the flood, God's judgment of the flood and its effect on the human heart? Anything change? No. No. Right? So God brought judgment, but the purpose of the flood was judgment, not to change the heart. What is the only thing that can change a human heart? The Holy Spirit. God. Yeah. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit then transforms the hearts and minds, right? That's important because both of these verses, both the Old Testament and New Testament, we've selected 
to show that the inclinations, the hearts of man are always evil all the time. Our beginning point, in other words, is evil and rebellious. Let's go further. Uh, Winnie, Psalm 51, verses 5 and 6, because this, I want to focus this, when it began, right? We've just discussed man's nature, but when did this begin, Winnie? Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. All right. Say it one more time, because this is really important. Surely I was sinful from when? At birth. At birth. And God desires faithfulness even where? In the womb. Even in the womb. God desires faithfulness. Seems to... um put a little bit of a challenge to someone who would suggest that we're innocent in the womb, right? Mm -hmm. And then when does life begin? You want to read Psalm 139, verse 16? Mm -hmm. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Okay, your eyes, meaning God's eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Saw our unformed bodies. All the days ordained for us were written in his book before one of them came to be. So even before life began, God knew every day, and yet, as it also says in Psalm 51, verse 5 and 6, we were sinful from conception, right? Okay, with these scriptures in mind then, I have some questions. If all aborted babies, or even all babies who die in the womb, go to heaven, if that's, if that's your belief, why would God allow anyone to escape the womb? Right? If God desires all to be saved, and if they can all be saved by remaining in the womb, right? if that's the belief, then wouldn't it be mean of God to allow any to escape the womb where some might end up in hell and other in, others in heaven? Because I think that's the logical end of that argument, right? Everybody who, would, who is aborted, if you believe that everybody's aborted goes to heaven, then why would God allow anyone out of the womb? Yeah, like somehow, like right when you're born, you have, are given this choice and you automatically, it, if you die, you don't go to heaven just because like you came out. Yeah, it's 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 a slippery slope, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You, you were born, not came out. You yeah. came out. But isn't that the isn't that the logical conclusion of that argument? If we believe that God is merciful and that God desires for all to be saved, as Scripture tells us, right? And if the belief then is, if you add to that belief, something that it doesn't say this in Scripture, but I've heard a lot of Christians take this position, that all aborted babies go to heaven, then why would God allow anyone out of the womb? If he could assure their position in the eternal kingdom of God by having them be aborted, wouldn't it be more merciful for all of us to have been aborted? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it just, it doesn't make sense that way. It makes more sense to think that we all had a destiny before, you know, you know, we all, God had chosen us either for heaven or hell before we were born, before we were conceived. Right. We go back to Psalm 139. God knew every day before one of them came into existence. And even in the womb, he requires, what's the point of God saying that he requires faithfulness in the womb if we're not culpable in the womb? Right. Why would he say he desires faithfulness? Mm -hmm. Okay, I have a related question then. If one takes the position that the reason a child who dies in the womb goes to heaven is because that child is incapable of choosing Christ, right? We go back to that Isaiah verse, for example, Isaiah 7, uh, 
particularly verses 15 and 16, talking about a child coming to an age of choosing and assuming for a second that you can't choose Christ without Christ first enabling himself, him or her, and we'll get into those verses in a little bit. What is the, and we kind of address this with Winnie's answer, what does this assume about the child? What is what is this? Pre- Sorry, I just pulled Paul. what is, what is this presuppose? <laughs> Maybe it's my fault in how I asked the question. Maybe we already answered this, but let's go ahead and finish it. If one takes the position that the reason the reason a child who dies in the womb goes to heaven is because the child's incapable of choosing between right and wrong, and we said this earlier, but it's it's worth repeating. What does that assume about the posture of the child in the womb? That it's innocent. Yeah, that the baby's innocent. And as we read from Scripture, Genesis and Romans, this is not the case about any man. It begins from conception. It actually begins before because God saw all of our days before one of them came to be. Okay. So someone who says, maybe someone believes, and I've heard this before, and I think it's more implied than spoken, that abortion was an accident or maybe even a death in the womb that's not by abortion, right? Why or on what basis would God, do you put this condition, which is what I think it is, a condition on God that, well, if they die in the womb, they automatically go to heaven. Isn't this, isn't this conditioning God's sovereignty based on the manner of death when it happens? Yeah, yeah it is. Can you elaborate? What's wrong with that way of thinking? It means that if we were all to die in the womb, we'd all be saved, even if that wasn't God's choice. You know, if, mm-hmm. even if there were some who were not God's elect that died in the womb, and they would still go to heaven like, oh, sorry, you didn't make it to the choosing stage. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange argument. To say that all babies that die in the womb go to heaven, doesn't this subordinate God's determination of a person's salvation to the conditions under which the person died? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think this gets far astray from what the Bible teaches. Do we really believe or want to take the position? And if so, I would invite anyone to provide support in Scripture for this position, that the salvation or eternal destiny of a child or anyone is determined by the condition under which one dies. That is, the date, the manner, the situation or environment surrounding one's death. Yeah, because it it would apply the same way if you had if you were talking about car accidents or something mm-hmm. like that. Yes, exactly. But Talk about that. Mo- most people who would, well, again, I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but if you, most people who would believe that uh, children who die before they're born go to heaven, they wouldn't say the same thing that all people who die in a car accident where they were the victim go mm-hmm. to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could apply that to any subset of manner yeah. of death, right? Yeah. Why do they believe that this particular manner of death is different? Were you going to say something, Penelope? No. If we go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, the error that many make when they read this passage is that they begin with a posture of innocence. But that's not what the Bible teaches, as we just covered in our passages. Um, Romans and Psalms tells us plainly that man is inherently sinful. This is his starting point of rebellion against God, and that but for the mercy and grace of God, no one is good. So when the Bible talks about knowing or about not knowing good from evil, it means not knowing enough to choose good, right? Apart from Christ, we cannot choose good. The best means of discerning the answer to this question, then, is to remember that no man begins in a 
neutral or innocent position. And that lack of neutrality, that rebellion against God begins God saw it even before conception, right? Be, mm-hmm. When we were when we were conceived in his mind. We all sinned through Adam. Exactly. Because he sinned for himself and all of his posterity. That's right. And the second Adam is the only one who can save us from that, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe a better question is why would God... How would you answer the question? If, if someone takes the position that all babies go to heaven, couldn't we equally and more plausibly say if God was going to make a universal choice based on the manner in which a person dies, why wouldn't he condemn all of us to hell and eternal separation? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. If our condition is rebellion, and if we believe that God is making a, a universal <laughs> based on the manner of dying, I, only, yeah. I, only, I don't laugh insensitively to the issue. I laugh to the fallacy of the argument. There's not yeah. logic to the argument that God would take a category and say, if you die this way, then therefore your salvation is determined or not. But I think if we're going to be consistent, the better question would be, why doesn't God condemn all of us to hell? Now, I'm aware, of course, that this can offend the sensibilities of some of our listeners to make no distinction between, for example, as you were getting at, Roger, between an aborted child and a five-year-old or a teenager or an adult, and, and whether the means of dying is a random gunshot, a car accident, right, drug overdose, cancer. I mean, you could take any category or means of death. Were you going to say but something, Winnie? a life is a life, and there's no distinction between anyone because we're all equal under God. That's exactly right. And we're all equally in what condition? We're all equally sinful under yes. God. Yes, and but for Christ, that's the only manner. And, that's, and I think that's what trips people up all the time. They may not say it, but implied in their argument, they keep going back incorrectly to this neutrality, this belief that we begin with innocence. And the scriptures, even though our, de- in fact, even the desire to want to call ourselves innocent <laughs> is, is proof or evidence of, of the fall, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah that, that proves that we're, we're trying to rebel and say, look, I was, I was innocent, God, from the start. Jesus tells us that we're not. But the good news is that God provides an answer for that. That's the incredibly good news. Some people may take away from this discussion, well, what? We're all damned to hell. Well, we are from our initial position, but God in his sovereign grace and mercy has decided to choose some for salvation, and we don't know why and, and the purposes behind that, and we, and we play a role in it too, don't we? I think it's important that we address this issue, and I, I think I'll have um, Roger read this passage from Deuteronomy, because a lot of times people will say, well, what are we, just robots? Right? So God decides, and what's the use of me obeying God? Because you're. it's really, really important that we make clear that this, this tension between God's predestination and his predetermination of what is happening doesn't mean that we are not responsible. It does not mean that we don't have free choice as human beings. The scriptures are very clear that we do. Quote from Deuteronomy. This is from Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. Uh, 11 through 15. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. 
And then verse 20 says, now choose life so that you and your children may live. All right. So why would God tell us, clearly, it's from Scripture, why would God tell us to choose to obey and to choose good if he has determined everything according to his sovereign grace and plan? Because we still have a choice in this life. Our choice doesn't override God's choice, but it's still a choice. So we're still culpable, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if we, we because we, if we weren't, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't deserve damnation right. if we weren't yeah. culpable for so our sin. Everybody chooses to sin voluntarily, don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yes. free choice. What is the only manner that we can choose good, though, or the only way or reason that we can choose good? Through Christ. Through Christ, right? But for God's transforming our hearts, we're incapable of choosing good and incapable of doing right. So we're culpable, and God calls us to do something, and yet he calls us to do something that's under the counsel of his will, right? And so it, it is a mystery. We can't pretend that it's not a mystery, but it's, it's important that we dismiss with this false dichotomy where people say, it's either predestination or free will. No, it's both, and they fit together, right? How or why does God, and, and how is God able to sovereignly predestine the decisions of free men who are culpable for their sinful behavior? I don't know. I don't pretend, we should never pretend to understand the mind of God. It's incomprehensible. But the scriptures tell us this is true. And so our responsibility is what? To believe. To believe it. (laughs) You took the hint. I did. Yeah. It's a profound mystery, right? How God predestines the decisions of free men. But the Bible tells us that that is true. And the Bible must be our first, middle, and our last criterion for all things. All right. When we return, I'm going to take a question or two from the room. This is Jesus and the meteorologists. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I am your host. Winnie had a good, a good. Uh, it's not so much a question, but a good talking point to take us out of this episode. And uh, I'll just let Winnie take it. Yeah, I've had friends who we we've discussed abortion, like in our youth group, and coming out of it, they some of them are confused and they don't know exactly what to think either. They don't know what to think or they are refusing to see the answer because it's a hard answer and they think it might be all right to get an abortion if it's like a rape or if it's unsafe for the child or the mother. But really, the Bible is very clear and you should not ever kill anyone and that includes an unborn baby. Yes. So here again, we're not intending to be insensitive. Um, We certainly don't misunderstand the seriousness of this topic and life-changing, right, for Mm -hmm. especially a young mother who might become pregnant out of wedlock. 
but what we we always must come to answer these questions from the posture of scripture is the word of god scripture is our guiding light and our source for understanding everything and that means even when scripture is hard and difficult right and one of the risks of course we've heard for years and this is a tool of the left to suggest that well if the baby was conceived through rape then of course you can kill the baby first of all it's very very rare that rape results in pregnancy but it does but to suggest that one harm one evil thing <laughs> commands that we should do another evil thing take a life right mm-hmm. take another's life which we didn't make right god is the, the maker of life so even even a this is hard for people to understand even a pregnancy which results from a rape which is a violent abuse it's it's frowned upon it's wicked it's evil in god's sight and yet that child has come about for god's purposes so for us as human beings to intervene and to play god to terminate the life of that child would be an equally bad sin right it's so this is not to be insensitive this is not to be I can also hear someone saying well Kevin you you know you're never going to be in a situation where you have an abortion because you're a man I would first thank them for recognizing that because in our culture today, when a lot of people say that men can have babies, (laughs) I would say, thank you very much. You've proved my point. But just because something is difficult doesn't mean that God is not faithful, right? God calls us to, God's ultimate desire is for our salvation. And when we start to get cute and try to predict or control the future and say, well, you mentioned, Winnie, the other example of if it looks like it's going to harm the mother or the child by continuing the pregnancy, right? Mm-hmm. And we could even extend that to arguments when people find out that their child has Down syndrome or has some other physical or mental disorder that they're able to detect before birth, and they use that as a justification to terminate the pregnancy and to kill the child. Who are we to decide on what kind of people that we need to have in our families, in our communities, right? We, it, it is such a fool's errand to start playing God and to, and to select and to think that we can even have any effect on selecting the types of people. That's a far worse sin and making a difficult situation much more difficult um, and challenging. And I think it also omits the opportunity for blessing. Regardless of why the pregnancy happened, regardless of what the pregnancy might mean, God has his reason for doing things, and God can, if we don't have faith that God can bring good out of a bad situation, then what hope do we have as Christians, right? We need to call each other and encourage each other um, to still do what is right, even in difficult circumstances, believing that God has called us to do that, and he promises never to give us circumstances that are too burdensome for us, right? He'll never put something on our plate or in our path that we cannot overcome uh, and that he won't be with us walking through. All right, serious discussion. I do thank you for your your input. Very, very important. Thank you also for helping me finally find out that the offices of hypothesis was actually a room in the palaces of analysis. Um, it's right now being mopped and spruced up for next episode. Really? In your happy pants, you'll do that? Um, yeah. Oh, great. I guess the Palace, I ass- the palace I of Analysis Penelope. is getting some renovations. Yeah. I assigned Penelope to that job. Maybe some new tenants will move in. All right. 
That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our icebergs, our producer, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do? Unless Unless we believe what is true. All righty. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and you've been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. 